Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you can live a better life, not just physically, but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Ecophysiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. Welcome back to our wonderful listeners. Our, podca- our podcast today is about how to reframe circumstances to find bits of joy, peace, and positivity. My guest today is my good friend, Eden Berry, and welcome to the show. I seem to have lost. Hi, Madeline. Nice to talk to you. (laughs) Nice to have you. We're back. Yes. Um, And I guess I'll I'll start off by letting our listeners know that, um, you know, Eden and I had met um, the first day of Welcome Week at McMaster University when we were starting our bachelor degree. And we were in line in a barbecue at a barbecue, both of us basically coming there alone, knowing nobody. And uh, we just kind of connected in line and have basically been friends since. And I think we may have lost her. All right. Yeah, so Eden and I had met the first day of Welcome Week at McMaster. We were both starting our bachelor um, degrees, and we met each other in line at a barbecue and started chatting and have basically been friends ever since. Yeah, I think we uh, noticed each other and knew we could be allies, and we probably needed that on that day. Um, I, I, I think I... I'm a secret introvert, and it's it was it was good to find somebody to combine my uh, force with, so we could go forward more easily. And yeah, it turned out to be a wonderful friendship, and I've always learned a lot from Madeline. So yeah, I'm, I'm able to impart something in this podcast. Yeah, and, and you know, we we sort of you know we completed as some additional schooling, and and you know you you moved a little bit further away, so we don't get to see each other nearly as often as we did at that time. And you know, we've gone on to start our families, and and this is sort of where the podcast is really going to begin in terms of you know uh, learning about your experience and and. Um, you know, some of the things you've gone through and how you've been able to reframe those things to find joy, peace, and positivity. So hopefully our listeners, um, you know, will we'll, we'll gain a sense of perspective on that. So I guess we'll start with kind of learning a little bit about your story and where it begins for you. So, you know, my husband and I got married in uh, 2015 and very shortly afterwards, uh, we decided we wanted to have a family. Um, and through the process of becoming pregnant uh, and collecting medical history, uh, I think we realized there was a chance that our child would be affected with a genetic condition. Uh, it's called severe combined immune deficiency, and it means that um, you, you fundamentally don't have an immune system to protect you from viruses, from bacteria, from fungus, from uh, anything really, any foreign invaders. So. Uh, our pregnancy was a journey of discovery, and um, I think diagnosis and testing takes a lot of time, and so our entire pregnancy, we 
had to very um, deliberately make sure that we were staying calm and happy and focused in the fact that we were bringing life into this world and that we loved each other um, instead of focusing on the stress that could come with waiting for diagnosis. Uh, we found out at 36 weeks pregnant that our son would be affected and uh, we delivered him a week later and it was an entire new world. I think anyone can be overwhelmed with I think everyone is overwhelmed when they bring home a new baby from the hospital. And uh, we had this new baby who was, looks normal, but was incredibly fragile. Um, we were scared. Uh, but I think we, something we learned during the pregnancy was that we would face it together. We would face things with honesty. And that helped us uh, just really, and that was about finding peace in the pregnancy. I think um, we both believe, and I mean, I'm not a doctor, I don't know if it's true, but I think that our hormones affect uh, our pregnancy and affect what's growing inside us. And we just wanted to make sure that we were uh, relaxed and that we knew that we could face it because we were together. So uh, we did that. And that seems to have, we had a very happy pregnancy despite occasions where we were scared or sad. Um, and then, yeah, so we have this child. We get home from the hospital and now we are in what's called reverse isolation. So uh, we were in our home. We couldn't leave our home. Uh, we couldn't have visitors. Groceries needed to be delivered to our house and Lysol wipes before they came into the house. Um, I've never washed my hands so much in my entire life, but we were stuck in this house together. So we knew that, again, if we could find ways to find little bits of happiness and, just, and, and normalcy that we would be able to persevere. Um, we ended up being in one form of isolation or another for almost 18 months. Um, the times at home were good times. We stocked up on board games. Uh, we and, and made an effort. I mean, you can't go on date nights. You can't have friends over, but we made an effort to schedule time for us. And that was just you know, sit down at the kitchen table, let our child or little son nap beside us and play games to remember that we are human beings that needed care and love and joy too. Um, Absolutely. The focus on difficult. So you, you knew that this was coming. And so what were some of the things like, you know, I mean, physically, you know, uh, preparing the home to be in the home, um, emotionally, mentally preparing for what was coming. So what, what kinds of things were you guys working on to prepare yourselves for this journey? Um, so I naturally uh, emote. I'm open with how I feel and releasing these things uh, to my friends or to myself or to the universe or to the environment, whatever it is, whatever my um, venue for releases. Uh, my husband has a different way of, of expressing himself. And I think, again, it was a matter of practicing throughout the pregnancy um, for me to be easy on him with the volume of emotion I had and for him to be a little more giving in the amount of emotion he was able to release from his body. That helped him manage his stress levels and it helped me manage mine. And it helped us really like find that uh, common positive ground where we knew we could face it. And I think doing these things and learning how to be like open with each other, even if it's something super scary, even if you're expressing a fear that like the most catastrophic thing you could happen would happen to your child. Even when you're expressing that, if you have the thought, let's express it together and then we can 
out of that and move forward and find positive again. Um, so essentially you guys were openly discussing like the thoughts, right? Because the thing is, is, you know, our, our, our brains are developed for survival. Um, and of course wanting to protect our child. So it's natural that you would have all of these, like, what if this, what if that, exactly. what, if, you know, all these thoughts are going to come in and, you know, some people will say, well, if you let them out and let the light shine on them, you can see them for what they really are, which are just exactly. thoughts because they're not actually happening in the current moment. Right. Right. And yeah, you can, it's very easy to spiral out of control when you allow your mind to go without having a reasonable person to sound things off of. And it was, these are fears that were hard to communicate with our friends. It was not something we necessarily were open to burdening people with. Um, and not that people would think it was a burden, but it's, it felt private at that point. And so, yeah, we, we made every effort we could together to stay positive. And when things were negative and needed to be voiced, we just did it. And there was no, I'll talk to you in 10 minutes about it. It was, okay, let's sit down, let's face this. And then again, step out the other side, move forward and find your joy again. And Sometimes that joy was a board game. Sometimes it was going on a car drive as long as we could before we had to get back home to go to the bathroom. Um, we didn't use public washrooms, so, you know, everything was kind of an hour radius of the home in the car, and you'd make your way back to home base and start your day again. Um, and there's a lot of joy you can have with a little person just singing to them and, like, creating your happy little world with them. Um, External inputs are wonderful, but I think you get to know each other very well when you're, when you're forced to. When you're isolated, right? You're yeah. Isolated. So you mentioned like creating these happy joy moments. Do you, do you have like an, a, a, an example that kind of comes to mind that just like lights and shines up your worlds that you, you know, from that time? That's a really good question. So uh, we, we waited for a long time for a bone marrow match for my child. Um, children with his condition typically don't live past a year or two. Um, and they just get bogged down in infection and aren't able to fight them off and they don't survive. Um, in the last 15 or so years, they've been treated with bone marrow transplants, which are incredibly drastic uh, treatment plans. But uh, this is the only chance of survival. So... Um, our doctor started looking for a match for our child and we sat at home and waited and it was uh felt like a very long wait um and when he was just over five months old we got the phone call that uh they found a match and we'd be going to moving to toronto and uh he'd be receiving his bone marrow transplant um, and we felt very alone and i remember we got in the car we just again it was escaping from our four walls to find to recenter ourselves so we could come back to our home and have it happy again and we got this phone call from um the social worker at sick the sick kids hospital who said there's a mother who used to be on the bone marrow ward who had a son with what your child has she would like to do something nice for you for christmas would you accept that she won't know your name she would just like to do something nice and we said sure that would be lovely and i got off the phone and i Cried. And it was the first time in so long that I had cried with happiness, but it was just the idea that someone had gone through what we had and they had 
uh, enough joy in their heart to want to reach out and make someone else's journey more easy. Um, and, and it was like, so we had this, this, this insurmountable treatment that we knew we were going to face. We didn't know exactly what it was going to be like. We knew it was going to be scary. And then there was this, yeah, it was like the clouds parted and there was a little ray of hope. And we knew if someone could get through it with joy in their heart, that there was, again, hope for us to be able to get through it with joy in our hearts. Um, and it really, like, it welcomed us into the next phase of uh, facing our troubles head on, right? So the first phase was waiting in isolation. The second phase was going to be treatment, which is scary. Um, but yes, she just, she welcomed us in. Uh, I, and I, I've since thanked her, like her, she sent us a beautiful card and, um, like unimaginably generous gifts. I mean, she asked what our child would like, and I said we like to read books with him. And she ended up paying for our stay at Ronald McDonald House. Um, she <laughs> sent us groceries and this beautiful letter describing her journey with her children. She had one. She had two children who had this condition: one who survived, one who did not. Um, and we ended up becoming allies in in this situation. And she helped us again, find the joy in the moments of, um, of this next stage, of this treatment stage. Wow. I mean, I can't even imagine, you know, how warm of a feeling that would be for somebody who doesn't even know you to want to reach out and, and say, you know, I hear you, I see you, I don't know you, but I know what you must be thinking and feeling and then on the and i imagine on the receiving end like i'm getting goose pimples right now um you know that sense of oh my god we're not alone that was really important and that brings up a, an interesting point too i think when someone goes through a hard time um you don't necessarily who's gonna know who's gonna show up for you and like this person we didn't know showed up for us and it made an unimaginable difference. And showing up is important for people. So if there's anyone in your life that you know that's having a hard time, just show up for them. You don't need words of encouragement necessarily or anything else, just show up, just be there. And if it's just sitting in a chair beside them and like letting them live in your presence, like that is often enough to help them along their path and give them some joy or ease. And this was this woman, that's what she was for us. She was just, she showed up beside us on our path. And like you said, said she heard us and let us go forward. And that it is huge. Yeah. And you're still in contact with this? We are. Okay. Amazing. So you guys actually, did you guys actually then meet each other? Because I know it was kind of anonymous or is it still sort of anonymous? Uh, so it's not anonymous anymore. Um, And we we email back and forth with life updates. Um, Yeah, she, That's has, great. she has a wonderful and happy and healthy large family and we have a, a small and happy and healthy family and, you know. Yeah, so, so I'm, then I'm curious because you said, okay, so you're entering this treatment phase, you're, you've left now your home, you're, I, I guess, staying in the ro- ro- um, Ronald McDonald house. Thank you. I, my, my tongue was twisting on that. You know, um, how did you make it through that phase? Like, you know, obviously you had this person, so you had that hope, but were there other things you guys were pulling and drawing on to keep that energy and positivity going? Ah, our, our little son, his little face, you know, like 
even even on the hardest days and you knew he was so sick, there was always, like, he always found a way to smile. I don't know how they have such an intestinal fortitude. They are so strong. Um, it, a slight aside is sometimes I wonder if, you know, as adults, we understand that we have agency over our own bodies. So we accept less pain and less suffering because we expect to be able to change our circumstances and children don't know that, like, especially infants, like they, whatever's happening to them, this is the first time, this is what they accept as normal. Um, and, and interestingly, I think that's helped me respect my child as his own person sooner and respect his boundaries and, and like let him have more autonomy, safe autonomy, but, but let him have agency over his life to an extent because he didn't for so long. Um, but yeah, we just, we, we spent as much time with him as possible. Um, we were in this very small isolation room at SickKids Hospital. I think there was, I was trying to calculate it. I mean, it might've have, might have been 18 square feet of living space without medical equipment, probably less that the three of us squeezed into. And we never put our child down, ever. This kid was like held every second of every day. Um, it was very, it, it's hard on the legs. <laughs> on the hard hospital floor but yeah we just and we sang and I mean I I did not think I was going to be a singer when I had a child I didn't think I was you know but we didn't talk to each other we just sang everything um and my husband too you wouldn't really necessarily expect it of him either and it, we just must have been the silliest little band of three like singing songs and reading books and uh yeah we just really like found a way to exist in just in those moments and okay, the alarms go off. Okay, there are alarms throughout the hospital, other people, scary codes, and you just, you tune it out and focus what's important. And what's important for us was our little son's face. And so we just loved that little face at all times. And I think we both, because we both looked at it that way, that made it easier for us to live as adults in the tiny little space where, I don't know, Maybe perhaps otherwise we would have fought all the time. Who knows? But we didn't. Yeah. We knew it was important. Uh, the nurses and doctors seemed to be shocked that we never once turned on the television. But uh, why would you bother? You know, like, you don't need any more entertainment than, than a little six-month-old child who, you know, is playing. So, And a, a testament to being mindfully present at every moment, right? Yeah. Because, you know, when things, you know, and, and this goes for adults as well. Like, we're moving through our lives do 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 everything's good and then bad things happen which you know bad things do happen right um and then we just wish for those moments right and right. so you've made the conscious decision that we're just going to stay present in these moments yeah um and and how powerful is that ah and just to know that it's all temporary Right, like there, nothing no feeling lasts forever even if it's the most excruciating pain those it comes in waves right like you know that the pain is going to come back down the other side of that hill uh, even the most intense joy you know <laughs> has to be tempered as well and so exactly living in that presence and knowing that it's all temporary and you will get through the bad moments and there's always good moments and you can choose them you can you can frame everything to joy i mean we we were all we were granted that time together in this tight. It's it's absurd how tiny this space was. I, I and we we are not small people. We are both tall and broad people, and <laughs> it must have been like a town car. But 
you just you find you just find your way. You do your story time. You you know, sing your songs and you continue on. And I think we had to leave him every night. Uh, you weren't allowed to sleep in those rooms. So uh, I would, we'd, we'd stay until we put our son down to sleep. Um, and then we'd go back to Ronald McDonald house, probably at 11, 1130 at night. And those poor nurses, I would call them, you know, every waking minute. Anytime I woke up in the night, I would call them to go check on them. But our son, I think, must have felt the love from the day and he would sleep through the night. And then I'd get back there at 4.30 in the morning, and when he woke up, I'd be there again. Um, and so I think he now, I mean, he is a rascally three-year-old, and he gets into trouble, but he's pretty chill. Like, he is, and he's a happy guy, and I think surrounding him with happiness and love and, like, letting him, even when he was sick, just be held as much yeah. as possible has helped him adjust. Get through it as well, right? and make him feel he's not alone and he's yeah. and and you know i i think there's something to be said about that energy that's created from those um emotions that we transfer to them that you know they somehow instinctively know you know everything's going to be know what's okay. going on yeah yeah you're right so obviously you you went through the treatment phase and you're probably wondering like, okay, well, what does this mean after the treatment phase? So, you know, where, where do things stand now, now that he's gone through this phase? Ah, so that's a really good question. There is not a lot of long-term data on children like my son. Um, the children, the oldest children who have had successful transplants are now kind of mid-20s. Um, and, and they're doing, they're doing well. Um, what happens after that? Again, we don't know. Um, the things that are very positive for my child specifically are that uh, we were able to isolate very strictly. And so he went into transplant without ever having an infection, which the doctor said was unheard of. That doesn't happen. Um, we had incredibly good guidance from a medical team um, and that helped him stay strong through transplant and afterwards. Um, it's the strangest thing too, like these, these little children survive on the kindness of others. Like he would not be with us unless someone else had gone out of their way to make sure that he was with us. And again, it's people who we don't know. So while our friends sent us care packages and, and took care of my heart and my husband's heart, um, someone else was taking care of our child's heart. It's, you know, he received a transplant from an umbilical cord donation I think there are four or five hospitals in Canada that accept umbilical cord donations. I think oftentimes this is something that ends up on the operating room floor or the birthing unit floor. Um, and it is something that can save someone. Um, it is, uh, and the person will never know. So I think in the, in a live donor situation, there's a registry and after a certain amount of time you could apply to know who the person is, but with a, with a cord blood unit, you'll never find out. So all I know about the child is that it was a boy. He had the same type of blood as my son. And uh, he was born on March 16th of the same year that my son was born. But I don't know where in the world he could be anywhere in the world. But his mother decided that she was going to donate the umbilical cord. And that cord saved my child's life. And then so through the process of transplants, um, you get very intense chemotherapy to kill off any blood forming system that you do have. Um, 
which means until this transplant actually grafts and takes hold and starts proliferating in your body, you have no blood. So he survived on blood transfusions and platelet transfusions, again, from people who had taken time out of their life, out of their busy lives, out of whatever they were involved in, to sit down in a chair and just let other people have a part of them. Um, that it's, like, it's this like, fundamentally huge kindness that people do by donating blood, by donating platelets, by taking the time to be on bone marrow registries, to considering cord donation, um, it really does make a difference. And uh, yeah, so he's with us because somebody took that time. Um, my husband and I have since become uh, blood donors. I didn't, I didn't know that blood services does uh, campaigns, but it's just not something I never considered it. I didn't understand how it helped people until I saw how it helped my son and I wish I had started earlier, but there's no better time than now to just start and make a difference. And um, I think going through something the way we did and not being able to work uh, because of the isolation, we struggled financially. And so the way to give back for us was to give in kind and, um, you know, we're able to donate blood. So we, we do that as often as we can. Um, and it's, it's a lovely moment you get you, you know, you sit in this chair for 15 minutes and meditate on the fact that somebody was kind enough to do that for you. And hopefully that this can help someone else's loved one. Um, and it's, it's really, it's easy. It's unbelievably easy, which is shocking. I thought it would hurt or be complicated. Um, it's none of those things. It feel, it, it's a good thing. And if a little needle prick hurts a tiny bit, like you feel so wonderful after for having the chance to affect change in someone else's life. Yeah. The, I, I mean, you're right. It's, you don't, you don't think about these things. You don't consider it. And it's just um, amazing that, you know, people do sit and think about it and that it makes the person on the receiving end, like the forever gratitude that like can't be passed forward, but somehow, I feel yeah. like that energy goes into the greater cosmos of yeah. like knowing, well, just knowing that I'm taking the step. I don't know what's going to happen of it, but man, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take that feeling that like I'm here helping somebody else either survive or thrive uh, yeah. depending on their circumstance. Right. So can you believe if all of us just decided to be a little bit nicer to each other? You know, you could just make that decision. And it's, it's such an, even if you're having a really crappy day, you make the decision to wave when you merge in front of someone on the highway, you feel better. The person behind you feels better. You know, you can do these little things to be happier and more positive and pass that along. And it's, um, I think donating blood or, you know, being on an organ donor list really <laughs> takes that to this whole new beautiful level because it is such an impact. Um, yeah, I wish I wish I had had more aware awareness of it before, but you know I can make up for that now by doing my best to give as much as I'm able, and also share your story. And share um, and and so you know I'm very grateful that you are willing to come on to my podcast and share this story. Um, and 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 I and I and I knew this was gonna that this was a challenging experience, but I also feel like. I wanted to give you a platform 
you know, if you wish to do so to, to share your story in hopes that like, you know, a, it helps somebody else who may be experiencing something similar where they're, they're, they're facing something scary and they don't know what to do. And, and, and so, you know, be present in the moment and just make every single moment as fun as an, and engaging as you possibly can hug and kiss and sing and laugh. Right. So from that perspective, giving somebody hope of like, okay, I can make it through this and I don't have to do it like feeling horrible every second moment of that experience. And then, you know, also on the flip side, you know, people who have maybe considered giving blood, but they're like, I don't know, you know, maybe it'll be the motivating factor to say, you know what, yeah, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give. Oh my goodness. Can I, seeing even, so the, uh, a bone marrow transplant is either, uh, given from, um, bone marrow stem cells taken from someone's, uh, someone, a live donor's bone. Um, they stick a big long needle in there and it withdraw it, or uh, it's given from this cord blood, but basically it looks like a blood transfusion. So this thing that saved my child, again, it's essentially a blood transfusion and just watching Watching this beautiful red gold like travel from the IV into your child and you know this is saving their lives, it is just, it's unreal. So yes, um, you know, there's tons of information at blood services, uh, blood.ca. Um, they have information on uh, bone marrow donation as well and tissue donation. Um, and it's a system of uh, continued consent. So if at any point you get scared or uncomfortable, you just say no and you don't continue. Um, or if you need more information, they are very there to support you. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful system. Um, yeah, thank you for letting me talk about it too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, is there anything else that you would want to say to, you know, the parents um, of a child who are, you know, who are struggling um, to find the joy and positivity, any kind of tips, tricks? Remember who you are and remember why you had a child or remember the moments in making that child in that whole period that were beautiful and, and hold on to those. You don't have to hold on to the pain and the suffering and the fright. There's going to be enough things that scare us in our lives. So just, Again, hold on to any little bit of happiness you can find and grow it um, and ask for help from, you know, and people, people want to help others. So even if you don't feel like you have a very close support system within you, reach out. I don't know if it's to, you know, your social worker or like a local community or even honestly on Facebook, uh, the mummy groups can be intimidating, but people want to help reach out because people will be receptive. Yeah. Um, for those people who do show up for you, because those are, those are the life friends, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Eden, I mean, uh, you know, it's so nice. I, I mean, I got to see a little glimmer of him running in while we were trying to, you know, um, you know, do this, do this podcast and, um, it's so nice to see him laughing and chatting and moving. And, you know, obviously we wish all the best health. I mean, is he good? Is he stable now? Like, does he have to do any other, 
extra things or is it now just like try to live life? Oh, may have lost a little bit of connection there. Let's see if she... Oh, uh, we got a little bit of a transformer. That's okay. Sometimes these things while we're recording do happen. We're going to give her a second or two to get the uh, internet back up and running. Oh. And looks like the... Um, Recording has dropped her, so I'm going to pause the podcast right now. Okay, we seem to be back on to our technical stuff. So I was asking um, you, you know, is, you know, your son, I saw your son running around. He looks really happy and super, super cute. Like, is the treatment over for now? Like, is it just now live life or is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just, we live our lives. Um... Amazing. is great um we very recently just got the go ahead to do uh, the final set of immunizations of vaccines uh which is that is a testament to his incredible donor cells and how strong he is that he can be vaccinated and actually make antibodies um you know the inactive vaccines would have been superfluous they wouldn't have done anything they wouldn't have made him sick. They wouldn't have made him better. They wouldn't have had any effect. Um, and the live vaccines would have been a little iffy for him. Anyway, so he just recently received his chickenpox vaccine, which is uh, in the world of transplants. That is a pretty a very. Big. It's a very big milestone. Um, the first milestone we hit uh, was in Grafman at it, uh, what day was it? It was day plus 19, so 19 days after, no, plus 11, sorry, 11 days after his transplant, the cells took hold. Um, and then the next big milestone was day 180 in the medical literature. If you make it to day 180, things are go. probably going to be okay, right? Like everything gets a lot less scary. Um, and now we are at day, oh my goodness, I don't know, 950-something maybe, and, you know, I've lost count of the days, uh, which I was counting for a long time, and I have a happy little boy who can play at the beach and go swimming in public pools and, you know, can get colds from other toddlers and play with other kids, and he uh, shakes them off. He, Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. He can do it. Yeah. What a, yeah. What a truly amazing, happy story. Um and and the support, I think, you know, huge um, plus. And, and, you know, again, wishing nothing but all the fun things three-year-olds right now get to do. Um, <laughs> so I want to thank you so much for, um, you know, sharing your, your story, uh, agreeing to do this podcast. Um, and, you know, sending out your call of action for everybody to, you know, donate blood if they're, you know, capable and will, if they're able, capable of, of doing so. Um, and yeah, thanks again. Thank you, Madeline. 
Thank you for listening to Living a Better Life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again. Until the next episode. Bye for now.